0: This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. They now have CPU optimized droplets with dedicated hyper threads from best in class Intel CPUs for all your machine learning and batch processing needs. You can easily spin up their one click machine learning and AI application image. This gives you immediate access to Python 3, R, Jupyter Notebook, TensorFlow, Scikit and PyTorch. Use our special link to get a hundred dollar credit for DigitalOcean and try it today for free at the do.co slash changelog. Once again, do.co slash changelog. Well, welcome
1: to Practical AI. I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Benson, who is a digital transformation and, and AI specialist. And, and I'm Daniel Whitenack, working in, in AI for good. And we're going to do another news and updates and learning resources episode for, for everyone. I think there's been a pretty good response on that. There's a lot of news to k- keep up with in the uh, AI world. And always great to, to have a few more learning resources at your fingertips so hey chris how you doing i'm doing pretty good i'm excited about it we got some
2: cool stuff to talk about this week
1: yeah for sure as as always there's surprising things each week and uh things that you know are sometimes expected but yeah it's always it's always exciting regardless absolutely so what what have you uh what have you seen this last week yeah, the the first one that that came across my path was this survey that O'Reilly did um, called the State of Machine Learning Adoption in the Enterprise, um, and they have you know they have a blog post about it, um, but then you can actually download the full report. Um, you know, I think you have to put in your email or whatever to to download it, but it's it's free, and it is it is pretty interesting if if you're working you know in particular at a larger company and. I'm interested to know, you know, kind of how the how the landscape of machine learning is playing out in larger companies. I think it's really relevant. They they ask a bunch of different questions, everything from, you know, what people's titles are, um, you know, where they're located. Um, but also, I, I think some interesting things. The one that that piqued my interest was actually who's building the machine learning models within an enterprise company. the The biggest percentage of that were kind of embedded data science teams. um but then it kind of went down the uh, percentages from there through, uh, external consultants, all the way down to cloud ML services, and I, I was actually pretty surprised there was only like three percent of people using cloud ML services, or at least that's how I how I read the information. Really, um, and that that was actually really surprising to me. Um, I don't I don't know if you have thoughts on that. I thought I would have expected that to be much higher, just because it's so easy to use these these services. You know, uh,
2: maybe that's because we're in our little AI bubble and we think about this and you know are acting in it all the time. But I I, I admit is it, you know we're hearing constantly from these cloud providers about their services, and I guess I'm a bit surprised too that uh, that it's not us a, a higher uptake.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I think for for anyone out there that in particular, if you're maybe in a software engineering role or um, in a primarily you know, uh, a team with primarily software engineers, I think using these cloud ML services and black box sort of models uh, like from Machine Box, if, if you remember back to our episode to using those sorts of things are incredibly powerful where you can think about, you know, you're writing an application and you can just think about, oh, I want to integrate, you know, uh, speech to text or I want to integrate, you know, uh, image object recognition in my application well you don't have to build a model you can just utilize one of these services and I think that's incredibly powerful where you can think more about the functionality that you're trying to enable rather than the you know, the neural network architecture or whatever it is. Absolutely. And for
2: for listeners, uh, that was episode two on Machine Box, if they want to reference that. Uh, It was a great episode. So I imagine that that will change dramatically over the next few years with everyone trying to get this is maybe this is one of those moments where companies are still certainly trying to figure out how to incorporate AI into their strategy. And maybe we'll see a much higher uptake when when that occurs. Yeah, for sure. So I ran across uh, several articles, and the first one was called AutoKeras, the killer of Google's auto ML. And, uh, and, uh, you know, part of what caught my attention was probably the provocative title. Um, but they, they start off talking about uh, kind of telling, uh, again, what Google auto ML is, and that it's based on the neural architecture search that Google developed, um, which is really about searching for an optimal, uh, an optimal neural network uh, architecture or model to do a particular task on a on a given data set. And, uh, and and then they, they I think the reason they introduced that is they, they wanted to say, hey, there's this new thing called Autocaras, which is an open source Python library. And that's what really caught my attention is uh, one of the thesis of the article was that, in addition to this, AutoCare's uh, library just being a, a great library to get into, that it's open source, and they made a they they really noted that if if there is anything that could give uh, something like Google AutoML a run for its money, it's the fact that as you get these high quality uh, alternatives in the open source uh, world that are available, um, instead of you know paying Google twenty dollars an hour to use that you know to use their AutoML uh, implementation, that that is that is probably a trend that. will be a powerful thing to come in the years ahead. And and I know that both I I love open source and I, I know you do, too. And so that really caught my attention.
1: Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, that is what is partly factoring into this trend of, you know, people not using the cloud ML services as much as we might have thought, simply just because there's so many great open source packages out there which a lot of them like like you're kind of mentioning here don't require you to think through an entire neural network architecture but allow you to use a lot of things um, out of the box utilize pre-trained models um, utilize things as a service via json api or whatever it is and so you know maybe that is partly why that we're seeing that trend I, i noticed that this one you know, it's 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 not from Google, it's it's uh, but it is on, you know, open source on GitHub. It's it's extremely active as it looks like it has, you know, over 2000 stars. And so, yeah, a good, good catch. So the next one that I, I found kind of follows in that trend as well of open source tooling. And this one's called Netron, uh, I guess, a play on Neutron, I assume but a lot of people are probably familiar with like tensorboard which is like a visualization tool attached to uh, or very tightly integrated with tensorflow which allows you to kind of visualize the the architecture of your neural network al- among with uh, along with many other things but this this one caught my attention just because of how you know how well supported all of these different types of, of models are from all sorts of various frameworks. So Netron is also a way for you to visualize your neural network, the, the structure of it and various things about it. But it, it says right now that it supports Onyx format, Keras, Core ML, TensorFlow Lite. It also has experimental support for Cafe, Cafe2, MXNet, TensorFlow.js, and TensorFlow. And so this is really like a pretty cool thing and, and a, you know, a trend that I think I've mentioned on this podcast before that I'm really enjoying t- seeing in the community is this kind of idea of interoperability, where this is a tool for visualizing your neural network, and it doesn't really matter which framework we're, you're using, but there's interoperability with with a whole bunch of them. So it's it's definitely worth looking at, especially if you don't want to, you know, tie yourself into a particular framework or or set set of tools. Yeah, it looks I'm looking at the GitHub page uh, while you're talking about it. And
2: it looks uh, pretty great. It has uh, almost 1400 stars and 131 forks at the time that we're recording. And you know, it looks very active in terms of uh, there's a lot of recent updates to it. Um, So in addition to all the the uh, the different frameworks it supports with models and stuff, I'm definitely going to try this one out myself. For sure. So uh, the, the next thing it will take a little bit of a turn. Um, I, I'm often really in- interested in uh, uh, some of the non-technical posts as well about how AI is affecting the world in, in different ways. And um, I came across one that is uh, from Harvard Business Review, and it's called, What's the Purpose of Company in the Age of AI? And um, it, you know, I, I'm often talking about digital transformation in general and how AI affects that. And so that that caught my attention. But it was interesting to see uh, Harvard Business Review seriously considering that with these new tools, how does that literally change the business functions? Technology aside, that that AI is is introducing. And they kind of to, to summarize it, they kind of came down to that from a business strategy standpoint, AI was really going to have an effect in one of the four following ways. And one is really uh, AI uh, being used to exploit existing advantage and to make that existing advantage more pronounced. They also talked a lot about trade-offs in terms of long-term and short-term. And we're all used to hearing about companies that get caught in the short-term you know, for stock market, for quarterly reporting and stuff like that. But that AI can be used to figure out what trade-offs make sense for for moving uh, companies more into a long-term perspective, and that there may be some insights there that would not otherwise be available. The third one that they mentioned really appealed to me, and I know it's going to appeal to you. And that they're talking about, uh, they define it as a moral or spiritual call to action. And I know you explicitly always talk about AI for good, and that's a a big important thing for me as well. And um, as I think about my future uh, and, and the organizations that I want to be part of, knowing that that organization stands for something more than just making a profit uh, is, is, a, is a motivating factor. So I found it really interesting to think of AI being used to promote that uh, bettering the world approach. Uh, and then the final thing was really a uh, kind of being the, uh, they, they use Steve Jobs uh, and uh, Elon Musk as examples, is really people who are going to, really meld the world into their own view rather than trying to fit into the world and you might you might say that that is innovation for the purpose of creating value but um i i just like seeing this conversation where companies are recognizing how important this is and recognizing it's not just another tech coming in but it's actually something that's going to affect the core way they operate
1: yeah this this is great i i think this is a really great perspective especially the things like you mentioned, I mean, you, you know, uh, the, the things that kind of pique my interest and, and coming from the AI for good perspective in particular, where, you know, it talks about a moral or, or spiritual call to action. And, um, I know I'm motivated, you know, primarily by you know, uh, my Christian faith in terms of infusing a a morality into the technology that I build. And I had a lot of those conversations with people lately where, you know, the, the morality, if there is some in, in AI is really driven by that of its creators. And so, you know, to, to be a part of the development of AI is also to be a part of that kind of moral piece of it. Um, and we, we really need to be having those conversations. And it's great to see that there's a lot of people having those conversations in, in various circles. And, and it's great to see that. And, and I'm, I'm going uh, to surprise and embarrass you
2: and uh, note to our listeners that uh, Daniel is speaking at an upcoming conference that, that has a, a faith-based perspective on technology. And what, what is it called,
1: Daniel? It's called Faith Leads. It's in, uh, it's in, uh, in Nashville and uh, having a lot of great conversations recently with, with people. Um, in that context, it's going to be a, a great conference. So I, I recommend you check, check that out if you're at all interested in that kind of intersection. Um, but I know that there's a lot of people having these conversations. There's I've seen a bunch of articles with people talking about, you know, how how your wor- worldview and how your morality is kind of infused in the t- into the technology you build, and not only you know, is is a separate piece of who you are, but it actually can kind of mold in very naturally with the technology that, that you build. Um, and I think that helps people also, you know, feel like you know they can put them the their whole selves into the technology that they're building, um, and create a lot of passion for for the things that they're building. Um, which is is super important you know and if, if, to finish that up the,
2: I it's so good to see I love I, when I saw that you tweeted that um, I wasn't surprised and I was very happy and um, and as we look and, and other people we know in the space are really focused on using AI for good I think it's a fantastic counterpoint to the predictions of AI as a as a as a scary thing in, in so many people's minds um, I just love seeing these great use cases for using this technology to to, to better the world, and I hope that uh, I hope that our listeners will help us uh, spread that uh, across uh, the AI uh, industry in general.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, and I, I definitely recommend. Um, I mean, I think there's a couple of great links as well. I, I know in in our episode three, we talked to um, Amanda and Latifa and Peter about the great work that they're doing with TensorFlow helping African farmers. If you're if you're at all interested, I just encourage you to listen to that episode. It's incredibly inspiring just to utilize the skills that we have for for uh, helping people improve their quality of life um, in a real, practical way, and and, and literally saving lives uh, in Africa. Yeah.
2: There, I mean, literally saving lives. Uh, it was that was uh, it was an emotional episode, uh, uh, which uh, so it, yeah, absolutely, they should go listen to that.
0: This episode of practical AI is brought to you by hired one thing people hate doing is searching for a new job it's so painful to search through open positions on every job board under the sun the process to find a new job is such a mess if only there was an easier way well I'm here to tell you there is our friends at hired have made it so that companies send you offers with salary benefits and even equity up front all you have to do is answer a few questions to showcase who you are and what type of job you're looking for they with more than 6,000 companies from startups to large publicly traded companies in 14 major tech hubs in North America and Europe. You get to see all of your interview requests. You can accept, reject, or make changes to their offer even before you talk with anyone. And it's totally free. This isn't going to cost you anything. It's not like you have to go there and spend money to get this opportunity. And if you get a job through hire, they're even going to give you a bonus. Normally it's $300, but because you're a listener of Practical AI, it's $600 instead. Even if you're not looking for a job, you can refer a friend and hire one will send you a check for $1,337 when they accept the job. As you can see, Hired makes it too easy. Get started at hirecom slash practical AI.
1: Well, I'll bring us into the the next thing that I found here, which is uh, not totally unrelated, but in in a different vein, um, and that's that uh, Julia. The Julia team, if you're not familiar, Julia is uh, is another programming language that's very prominent in scientific computing, um, and uh, in in certain communities, especially I think more in the academic sense, but it's kind of starting to filter into industry. And they just released version 1.0. So uh, first of all, congrats to the Julia team. That's Woo-hoo! that's really great. And I, I have to say, you know, if if you haven't taken a look at Julia, just you know, try a few examples. Um, I think that you'll appreciate what they're trying to do. I was at JuliaCon, I think it was uh, last year, and the community is just really doing some some amazing things um, in kind of distributed computing, large scale scientific computing, but also in in terms of machine learning and utilizing GPUs and a bunch of different things. Um, So we'll link to the blog post about Julia 1.0, but just encourage you to uh, give the team congrats on Twitter and also try out a few examples if if you've never used Julia.
2: All right. I will definitely leap into that. That's a huge congratulations to hitting 1.0. I, I've also been watching uh, Julia develop over the last few years and uh, it's just an impressive language and it's coming along at a perfect time for that. I actually have my my next uh, article is actually kind of a counterpoint to the Harvard Business Review and I just mentioned before. This one is a blog post by uh, a person named Ian Hogarth, if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, called AI nationalism, and the crux of it is, whereas the Harvard Business Review talked about the changes that that companies are having to do, think about in terms of their their operations, this blog talks about geopolitics and economic concerns and how um, AI is really going to be driving entirely new types of geopolitics in the years ahead and 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 to the point where it will transform not only economies but but military strategy and thinking and uh, the author actually goes so far as to suggest that AI policy may eventually be one of the most, if not the most, important parts of government policy because of the profound impact that it has on government operations. And, you know, as we're in this moment where uh, not only in the United States, but around the world, we're having all sorts of uh, tumultuous politics with, with people on different sides, and and ov- obviously it's at uh, it, it, it times you know, very hotly contested. Um, we seem to have left uh, the period of of politics being a a slightly kinder, gentler uh, thing to do uh, in the past. But as we think about how how AI may affect this, uh, I I just found that an interesting thought process. And and he goes on uh, in this article for in quite a lot of detail in a bunch of areas far more than we can cover in the podcast. So I would certainly encourage uh, listeners to to take a read and 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 be thoughtful about it.
1: Yeah, and uh, I, I definitely uh, we'll take a look at that and and take that that perspective in. Um, it's always good to have those you know those checks and balances and make sure you're hearing different sides sides of the story. I, I would agree with you in the sense that, especially in light of, I think. All of us, when we were watching, for example, the the Facebook hearings at Congress were just kind of at least all of us that work in this industry or are, are maybe of a, a younger generation are just cringing at the fact of, you know, how little is understood at the government level about these new techniques <laughs> and what's really driving, you know, really driving decision making in industry, which is so different. And as that filters into government, I can't help but think that there's really going to be some profound changes Um, at at every level of government in terms of how they go about their decision making and how they manage companies that are utilizing these technologies as well.
2: Yeah, I agree. I I remember uh, a a big part, uh, aside from the actual reporting on the hearings themselves, uh, some of the, the senators really, really took a beating when it became how apparent it was that they weren't familiar with the implications of these technologies. And, uh, we, we live in a time where we can't really afford to ignore these things anymore. I mean, they, they, they're not just technology. They affect the
1: way we live our everyday life and and what, what, what can and cannot happen. For sure. So now on to what, what really matters in the global context, which is video games. Um, (laughs) so, uh, I, uh, I don't know if you're a video game, uh, connoisseur. I, I'm not, I haven't been a big video gamer since the days of uh, Super Nintendo, but there is this this very popular game um, called called Dota. You probably probably most everyone has heard of it, so I probably don't need to uh, need to mention anything about it. But Open AI developed five. Uh, my understanding is that it's it's called Open AI Five, which is a team of five neural networks. So this is a, a team game. And so they have a team of five neural networks called OpenAI5. And what what happened is they played a tournament recently where they they played against a team it this says of the 99.95 percentile Dota players. So essentially, the the some of the best in the world, right? And they won. I think it was two out of three. Correct me if I'm wrong in in our community. But yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting things about this. I mean, it's just kind of entertaining in general as these things are along with Alphago and other things. But I, I also think it's pretty interesting that this is kind of a it has that team play element. It also has an element in the game which is like uh, uh, drafting, which I guess is considered to be a pretty hard challenge. And so uh, there's a lot of facets to this that are pretty interesting. And so if Either if you're interested in Dota or if you're interested in these sorts of game playing neural networks, this is a really unique one and and one to uh, one to look into. And um, there's some, you know, some videos online and all of that good stuff that you can dive into.
2: That's 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 really interesting. It's funny how uh, and I'm not a big gamer either. So I so I I won't really uh, go too far because I'm out of my depth. But, you know, we've seen so many demonstrations of AI capabilities in recent years through gaming in different ways in different capabilities and so it's I'm, I'm always wondering what's going next yeah uh, and so uh, this is a fascinating one I guess do are we wanting to move into uh,
1: some learning resources at this point let let's do it let's uh, let's learn something okay sounds good uh, you want to go for it sure yeah so um, w- what I was going to point out this week um, for people to try out is uh, the PyTorch tutorials so if you go If you just search for PyTorch tutorials, of course, we'll include it in the show notes, but um, search for that. The reason why I mentioned this is I'm I'm actually going through some of these now and have been for a bit in preparation for some workshop materials that I'm putting together and um, some online course materials, which hopefully I'll be sharing in a future uh, learning resources episode. But yeah, this is uh, this has been really great for me to learn a little bit more about PyTorch, which I've thoroughly enjoyed working with PyTorch so far. It's It's been very natural, uh, at least for me and in, in my background. And um, the tutorials really help with that. So um, they have a bunch, you know, deep learning with PyTorch, a 60-minute blitz. Uh, PyTorch for former Torch users is probably not a ton of those. Um, uh, Maybe there is, maybe there's more than I think, but there's also learning PyTorch with examples, transfer learning tutorial, data loading and processing tutorial. It's really, you know, practical things and they give you patterns. What what I love is that they give you patterns that you can kind of reuse in your PyTorch programs. So you're, you know, you're not always starting from scratch. Uh, You kind of, kind of do a lot of copy paste and, and go from there.
2: Yeah, this is a really rich set of tutorials that they have here as I'm looking through it. It's in, in you know, as we've talked about different frameworks over time, and, they, I, you know, we, we really have a great set of resources uh, by each of the frameworks. This PyTorch one is awesome. You know, we've talked about TensorFlow and Keras and various others in the past. But, you know, if someone out there is listening and, and thinking about looking at this, you know, see one that, that that feels right and just dive into it. There's so many great examples where you can take uh, whichever framework, PyTorch or others, and, and start doing stuff that just jump into the pool and, and start doing stuff and you'll find that you can get productive pretty quickly there.
1: Yeah, just, just jump in and try to run something that works, right? And then go from there. You don't have to feel like you need to understand every little piece of it before you run something. Just take one of these and try it, run it, see see if it works, and then try to start thinking about, oh, when could I use this and with my own data? Or what if I modified it to do this or that? And you know, take that approach I think is really useful.
2: Okay. I ran across something uh, about it's almost it's almost meta about learning. It was on Lifehacker, uh, and it's how to get started in machine learning, learning and robotics. And before we go on, um, you know, next week we're going to be uh, interviewing uh, Chris DeBellis on uh, robotic perception uh, using Mask R CNN. And with that in mind, as a, as a future thing, and, and thinking about crossing machine learning and robotics, this this was interesting not only because I knew that was coming. Uh, Uh, But also because it talks about these two gentlemen, um, and and I'm not... I'm not going to say their names because I'll butcher it terribly. The link is in the show notes. But uh, it notes that one of them at least was 20 years old, maybe both of them. And they are they were trying to get started uh, in this. And they were involved in a hackathon. Uh, and they just kind of talked about some of their lessons learned about how to get started in this field. And there's so many people, whether you're 20 or or 40 or 60, there's so many people that are starting to move into this that um, I, I thought that they had a really great perspective. And, and a couple of The key things that they said that if you're starting out, they refer to it as cross the streams, and what they meant by that is to uh, to think out of the box and and not not think about the problem you're trying to solve in the way everybody that came before you might have solved that with previous technologies. With new advancements happening so fast, and and with robotics, it may be it may not just be from an algorithmic standpoint. It it might be the sensors that you're using and where sensors are applied and how they're combined and stuff. And they they basically said. Go for something that other people aren't necessarily doing, and see if you can make it work. And then the next thing, as they said, is get an assignment, and that is to make it real. They were involved in a hackathon, and and in that perspective, you know, they had a set time limit to knock some code out. And and you know that with that with that time approaching quickly, you you have to produce whatever you can in a short amount of time but but that forced them to to really think quickly and act on it quickly and see what they could produce and that assignment they said made a big difference and finally when you have your assignment they said Break down your project instead of being overwhelmed and saying, "Oh my gosh, we've had we've 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 taken this very ambitious assignment <laughs> uh, on in terms of how we're going to approach and we have a set timeline." They just said break it down to pieces, uh, just like you would if you were a software engineer or 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 any one of many other things. It, it's it's a project, and there in a project is a big thing that's composed of lots of little things. And they said that they just they would basically divide it and conquer the project, and were able to use open source tools like uh, like like Pandas, which I know you mentioned uh, uh, in our last conversation, and they were out able to turn out uh, a good product. And I just thought it was a great attitude with some great practical advice uh, for doing practical AI at an entry level. Uh, and I wanted to share that with our, our listeners.
1: Awesome. Yeah. And, and there's a bunch of resources. If you're looking, maybe you're not, you don't have a hackathon near you, or, or something like that. If you're looking for a project to get started with, um, or to, you feel like you've built up some skills and want to try them out, there's a bunch of ways to do that remotely as well. Of, of course, you can try out different competitions and stuff, but there's also things like uh, data kind. If you're not familiar with that, that's that's a way to volunteer on real projects related to, uh, related to, to social good, things like uh, poverty and global warming and public health. There's a lot of ways to get involved. Um, and if you're, if you're interested and, and need some help in finding some of those opportunities, make sure and uh, pop over to our community. We have a, a Slack channel. You can find that at changelog.com community. There's a practical AI channel in that, in that Slack, and we'd be happy to, to talk through some of those things. And, or if you have, you know, interesting news coming your way, keep, keep us up to date with what you're finding interesting and uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you.
2: Yeah, we, we, we do have a great group of listeners that are active on those in Slack. Uh, also on LinkedIn, we have a practical AI group on LinkedIn, which we actively monitor. So, there, and, and we're on social media. So there's there's a lot of, of great ways of reaching out. We are very accessible. Uh, and so so don't hesitate to reach out to us and give us your feedback, suggestions. And we're looking forward to those conversations
1: all right sounds good well i'll see you uh or talk to you next week chris uh, about uh uh mask r cnn and i'm looking forward to figuring out what that is and, and having that discussion me too i'm looking forward to it have a good week daniel yeah you too
0: bye bye All right. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Practical AI. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor, go on iTunes, give us a rating, go in your podcast app and favorite it. If you are on Twitter or social network, share a link with a friend, whatever you got to do, share the show with a friend if you enjoyed it. And bandwidth for changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com. And we catch our ears before our users do here at changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com slash changelog. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to linode.com slash changelog. Check them out. Support this show. This episode is hosted by Daniel Whitenack and Chris Benson. Editing is done by Tim Smith. The music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at changelog.com. When you go there, pop in your email address. Get our weekly email keeping you up to date with the news and podcasts for developers in your inbox every single week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.